Okay, Genesis 6-8 says the reason Noah was spared was because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, or favor, as some versions say, but found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was not without sin, but he found favor with, with, with God. Why? You have to, you have to look at verse, or chapter 6, verse 9, and it, it, that says that. It says he was righteous, blameless, that he walked with God. Okay? But he, even he agreed with God about his own sin. Okay, and 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 he would do. Here's a you have to understand. He walked with God. Okay, the words righteous, when you see that throughout Scripture, does not mean perfection. It just means righteousness. You know, you've heard me say before. It's if if you have um, a righteousness which comes from God, it means you have a right standing with God. Okay. That's what we're talking about is I have a right standing with God and if I'm walking with God, what happens is is when I, when I see my sin and, and it's, it's, I see, wow, I sinned. Here's what a righteous man does. I turn from that sin. God, I'm sorry. I will not do that anymore. I'm, you're broken by your sin and you turn from it. Okay? If I'm blameless, it doesn't, it's not the, if you look at, this is the stuff we don't have time for this morning. If you do a word study on that throughout Scripture, those righteous and blameless words don't mean perfection. That you don't, you're, you don't. It just means God has given you grace, and you're not accredited that blame anymore. Grace means you're forgiven, even though you deserve it. Not that you did it perfectly. It's no, you didn't do it perfectly, and I'm forgiving you anyway. So you're looked at just like with Christ. His blood applied makes me blameless before God even though I am because it's His grace. He now sees the righteousness of Jesus. We'll read a verse here in a minute. Okay, It talks about it's not a righteousness of my own. I'm righteous and blameless because of what God does for me, not what I do for myself. Okay, So you can, you can look at guys like David in the Bible. How in the world was David, a man after God's own heart, and talked about as righteous, even though he did all what he did. You know, when you get in the story of Bathsheba and all that, what happens though when the prophet un- explains to him and, and gets him to see his sin, what's he do? He's broken, and he even writes a lot of the Psalms and laments over it, and, and is broken and turns and makes it right. Okay? That's, that's what that means. It doesn't mean that you get everything right. You know, because there's this think that's this thinking, this teaching out there. There's some people on TV that are teaching this stuff that once you become a Christian, you don't sin anymore. It's not true. If you can do that in and of yourself, then you don't need Jesus. Okay. And and here's the thing. You look at Philippians. Sorry, I just got into this. Too late for it to be in my notes. I wrote a note in here. Uh, Philippians 3, but I want to read 8 and 9. I told you guys up there this morning, just 9, but if you'll throw uh, 8 up there as well. Verse 8 says, More than that, I count all things. This is Paul, right? 
count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. And what does it say? And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, right? So in other words, obeying the law doesn't get me a righteousness. That only comes from God. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Right? That's where it's at. That's why eternal life, that's why when you, John 17, 3 says, it's knowing God through Jesus Christ, that we have His righteousness attributed to us so that we can have a relationship with Him. But that's the ultimate value. That's So that then I start this process of sanctification, become more like Jesus, and I properly reflect Him to people and His glory and His greatness and how wonderful He is, right? I mean, even Paul would say, I know it's a little sidetrack deal, even Paul would say, man, a Pharisee of Pharisees, man, I was it as far as obeying the law, perfect, came from the right family, everything, but he says what? But, but he would refer to himself as what? The chief of sinners. But he obeyed the law. Okay? It's, it's not something we can do for ourselves or deserve for ourselves, and it's not about walking perfectly in the law. It's about faith in Jesus and knowing Him. I know I beat that to death, but I'm just, there is such misunderstanding out there about how this works. Okay? And we, we start to think we're good people and I'm obeying the law and I'm doing these things and it's in and of myself and it is not. That, that's works-based. There's no works we can do that, that get this for us. And even Noah, it was not his works, it was his faith in God and, when he, and because he loved God so that when he saw his sin, he would turn from it. And, his, and he was going through that process too of, of getting better and better, even though you're not perfect. Even Paul would say, not that I've obtained it, but I keep on going, getting better and better. Okay? Blameless, blameless in the Old Testament doesn't always mean sinless. A man is blameless if he does not persist in his blameworthy actions. If he hates them, turns from them, comes to God seeking mercy. Okay? You can look at Psalm 32. And then there's a bunch of stuff about that, about this battle of obedience and enjoying this acceptance by grace, okay, Um, in Psalm 32. It's confirmed, this whole thing with Noah, you can even look, this is where I say the New Testament confirms the Old Testament and it all matches up. Hebrews 11.7, we went through the Hebrew series, remember all that in the the heroes of the faith. It says in there in verse 7, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, there's also, I believe, they hadn't had rain at that point. It just talks about how the earth was watered from the mist of this that rose up, okay? In, in reverent, because you imagine for 120 years, going, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, and they're going, what the, what is that, right? Water's going to fall, it's going to flood, okay? Or whatever. In, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir, right here it says it, of the righteousness which is according to what? 
obeying the law, getting it right every time. No, faith. Okay? So Noah was not an exception to the rule of universal sin, sinfulness, okay? Therefore, the doctrine of sin is, is it's an important lesson of this story that we understand. Apart from new birth and faith, um, all of us, your children, me, everybody that's ever lived, you can say that of Genesis 6, 5, every intent of their thoughts of their hearts was, is only evil continually apart from Christ. If that doctrine is rejected, then the whole meaning of all this kind of falls apart. It just becomes a cute story. Okay? But there's, there's a limit to us in this life. Right? We've got a certain amount of time. Okay? And, and God hates sin and punishes unrepentant sinners. Eventually, He'll deal with sin. His patience with us does have a limit. Okay? But God does not surrender His purposes for man in all of this as we look at it. Here's the main deal about the story. In spite of man's intolerable sinfulness, God does not surrender the purpose for which He created man for that we talked about. God created us in His image, desires for us to fill the earth with His glory, reflected in our faith and our righteousness. Therefore, He preserves one righteous man and his family, and He gives him the duty or the blessing of filling the earth again. Okay, It's the same in Genesis 9-1 as it was at the beginning in 128 with Adam when he said he says to Noah, he blessed him and his sons and says, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. Why? To spread God's glory, a reflection of Him. In verse 7, the commandment is repeated. God is prepared to start over, you could even say it this way, with a new Adam, but this time the beginning is not in paradise. Okay, We're now dealing with a cursed world, so the new Adam must deal with the threats against the mission that God has because it's a cursed world now. So now God steps up and makes more provisions for man to help him because of the threat of the curse of creation because he has a threat from creation. Now those wild animals that he used to be able you know, were kind of friendly and did what you said and you didn't have to eat them or do any of that stuff. Now that's all messed up. Here they come. We're going we're gonna to have problems. There's just us few people and all these animals multiplying quicker than we are, limited weapons, all that stuff. You can get into theories about that. But regardless, it, it goes into this in, in Genesis. Um, like in chapter 9, talks about these different provisions he makes, like about now you can eat the animals and they'll be scared of you. Hopefully most of them are. Uh, some you know, get crazy and get rabies and are not. Um, I still run from bears and stuff like that if I see them. Not that that happens every day. Okay, But but it starts talking about these provisions of, that God makes from animals that man is now, we're a threat to each other because of our sin. And just like Cain and Abel, right? So he's like, here, I'm going to start making these provisions for you, for you because these things can hinder my plan. Uh, and that's why he even says, I... You know, my heart was broken having to do these things as well, so I'm not going to destroy the earth by flood. I'm not going to do this worldwide thing again. Okay? God helps us out with the little things, uh, like the rights over the animals and so forth. Significant changes like God gives man an allowance into what would normally just be reserved for God to be able to punish man with death. Okay? 
and here we go, this is politically incorrect, okay, I'm about to step into some big trouble and all the different parties are going to get all wound up here over this kind of stuff, but it, but it is a debated topic when you talk about capital punishment. But, but God in Scripture here even talks about taking a human life in order to guard society against murder. Okay? The mission of man is threatened by other men. So God does this. You look in Genesis 9, verses 5 through 7. It says, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For he is, for in the image of God he made man. See, he's saying I'm, I'm giving him this deal where man can kill man if he if if somebody commits murder. It's capital punishment is what it's talking about. That he's made in God's image, so he's giving him part of that. He's giving him that responsibility. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Before the flood, God reserved that whole right to take life. Um, you 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 remember when the Cain and Abel thing happened? When when even though Cain was a murderer, what did God do for him? He said nobody else can touch him, right? Put the mark on him. So anybody else touches him, then I'm going to kill you. He's reserved. He's like you guys can't do that to each other. I'm I'm not letting you punish each other by taking a life. But here now after the flood. He says, this thing's going to get, it's going to, I need some restraints on man. And so he makes murder a capital offense. Okay. But now you get in the New Testament and it tells you all this stuff about it's the government's job to administer that. It's not for us just to go, we have to obey our government and our authorities, pay our taxes, do all that stuff. The Bible teaches us. We just don't, somebody kills our family member. It doesn't mean we can just go, oh, well, God said I can go kill them now. No. Okay. It's not how it works. Okay. But man is created in God's image. God's purpose is that people in his image fill the earth with his glory. Therefore, when man presumes to snuff out the potential for that glory, he attacks God in such a way that his own execution by men becomes a part of that deal. Okay? Later on, God reveals that, you know, the practical implications, like I said, you can go like Romans 13, that talks about that being God's the government's job to do that. But the point is, God makes this provision for them to protect them for the mission. Then God makes a covenant with Noah and to ensure this doesn't happen again, you know, how can he, how can the earth ever be filled with his glory if his wrath rises up again and again and again? And so he's like, I'm put some constraint on that. So um, Genesis 9-11, um promise is stated that he won't destroy it again. Um, but notice what all this implies, okay? Which is sin is just as much a problem after the flood as it is before the flood. The flood of judgment did not eradicate sin. Grace did not guarantee righteousness. If God's purpose was to fill the earth with His glory of His righteousness, then did God fail if it's still there after the flood? No. Or was this necessary for for there to be a greater future? Okay, and so when you read the New Testament, the writers see the flood as a foreshadowing of that final judgment with fire. If you read Second Peter chapter three, and the ark as the foreshadowing of our final salvation. 
if you look in 1 Peter 3, you'll see that there. And the days of Noah as typical as the, as, uh, of the last days before the coming of the Son of Man, which you read in Matthew 24, 37. Um, the story of Noah is not a finished story. Okay? There's a sequel. And it's Jesus, and then there's another sequel, which is the end of time. Um, but God still hates sin, and, and an eternal solution has been made for us. He's a good, loving, merciful God. And there's a clue in the story about the epilogue to come. It's found in 820, the end of the flood before God had made His covenant. Then Noah, I love this, okay? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered up burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to him, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. Okay? God's gracious covenant with Noah was in response to a thankful, God-glorifying sacrifice. Okay? And I see this also as a foreshadowing that God, who must come up with that, final remedy for sin we'll find it in another greater sacrifice namely jesus but it's really awesome that at the beginning of the story god saw that god gave grace and saw noah's repentant stance towards sin and found favor in him he recognized noah and even on the waters as he's floating in the boat right the ship it says in genesis 8 1 but god remembered noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark you know, God's recognizing him. Hey, Noah, you found favor with me. And then Noah in 820, upon coming out of the boat, builds this altar to the Lord. And it's the first altar that we see built in the Bible. Okay? Now, you know why God said, bring seven of some animals. Hopefully this gives you a clue on some of that, Okay? You need a couple to reproduce. Then you have to have a couple to do the sacrifice. Maybe eat a, some of them. I don't know. But but there's two of every animal. But then if you read on, you'll see there's certain animals. He said bring seven. Okay. Perhaps some of them are even used for food or whatever on the ship. But he uses that for sacrifice. So it says in the beginning of the chapter, the Lord remembered Noah. But that isn't all of that story because Noah remembered the Lord. Now just let that sink in because it's not our human nature, right? That is not human nature with our sinful depravity to, to remember the Lord when we come out good on the other side, is it? It's our human nature to forget the Lord. It's our human nature to promise God great things in the midst of bad circumstances. God, if You'll just do this, I promise if You'll get me through this, I'm I'm just I'll go to church every Sunday, right? I'll read my Bible every day. I'll give whatever. I'll tithe. I'll got I'll I'll do this. I'll do whatever it is. Like, right? Anybody else here ever done that? Right? Thank you. Right. God, if you'll let a 10-pointer walk out here, I'll never hunt again. Okay? It's the 9-pointer hanging in my office over there, right? It, it's it, we do that, and we just we just we'll make these deals. He gets us through things, and then we forget him, and life goes on as normal. Remember the story in the Gospel of Luke where the Jesus is 
uh, on the way to Jerusalem. He's passing through Galilee, the border of Samaria, and he comes across ten lepers, and they're crying out, Jesus, you know, Master, have mercy on us. And then Jesus helps them. He, he heals these ten lepers. And he sends them to the priest, and he says, go to the priest and, and offer the, the offering and go through the ritual purification to make yourselves clean, and then you'll be clean and everything's good. Right? And out of the ten, one returns to Jesus to say thank you. One, right? And what does Jesus do? He's like, well, where's the other guys? Only one of, only one tenth of those who were blessed that day returned to the Lord. And I wonder if it's any different today. Probably even less. It's probably about the same. That we return and say, thank you, Lord. I love you. But Noah did. He remembered the Lord. Noah was putting God first in his life in order to help fill the earth with God's glory. There's a lot of ways we can remember the Lord and put Him first, okay? There's a lot of simple stuff. Like, I don't always pray before every meal, but just saying thank you before a meal is one way you can do that. I don't like to make things habitual where it doesn't mean anything. You know, it's just a habit. So I don't always, like in my mind as I'm eating it, I'm like, Thank you, God, especially if it's good. If it's bad, I'm just like, thank you for the nourishment. You know, I'll take that part, okay? There's always a thought of thankfulness with me about the food, right? The food comes, it's, you know, when it's like if you're standing in Smucker's Donut Trailer, like was in Rutledge this week, and you smell that, and like, if he would hand me like a hot donut, like it dripping, like I can't eat that right now, that's not something I could do. Um, it would be hard to stop and go, hold on a second, dear Lord, like with the glaze running down your hand and it's like warm and it's getting cold and you're like, okay. no, I just scarf it down because it's like, thank you God, thank you God, you know, and just eat it because you want it. Andrew tries to get me to wait sometimes. He's like, well, just let, if you just wait till that stops dripping, I'm like, I grab the paper and I'm like, no, no, I want it as hot as possible, right? But how, how do you, what's, there's so many ways I could go on and on, okay? Um, you, coming to church is just a way to put God first. It's the way we do this, okay? It's just a weekly deal of I'm going to go worship Him. I'm going to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's It's community. It's a way that I, Show God I'm putting Him first by giving Him Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first of my time. Okay? It's a, or, you know, first fruits with your increase. Whenever you make money, the Bible calls a percentage of your income a tenth, uh, a tithe, the biblical way of saying it. You're saying, Lord, I could use this money for a lot of things, but I know it all came from You. I'm putting You first. And I remember that I'm not sustained by what I do and what I make, but I'm sustained by you. Love you, want to honor you, and put you first. You know, I know it's cold outside, the blankets are warm, but you get out of bed anyway and you come to church or you go to small group, right? It's not hard when they have breakfast, but okay, it's a little harder when you hear it's not your favorite meal they're having, right? It's it's not we you want to we want to honor him but it's not natural we fight against that our sin nature it 
it has to be supernatural. The life of Christ in you craves that, but your flesh doesn't. That's that war that's still inside of us. But you know the blessing that comes when you seek Him the way you should. Are you putting God first? Do you give, or do you just give God the leftovers if you have any? Right? You know, you've heard me talk about it. It's just that, well, just in case mentality. We fall into that of going, well, in case I should be doing that, I'll throw a 20 in the plate. Well, just in case I sh- well, I'm supposed to be doing this, I'll go to church one Sunday a month. Well, in case I'll be nice to this person. Well, just in case all this is true, in case all this, whatever your in case is, because there's part of us that does that, because in our doubts we'll go, well, just in case, right? And then we get in that thinking of, well, now God owes me because I did that for Him, right? Or do you just step out and first thing remember and honor God and say, with my time, my talents, my resources, I'm grateful for the ark that rescued me. Just as Noah was invited come into the ark, Jesus looks at us and says, you and me, I'm inviting you to come. You and me as I am in Him, the Father. The Holy Spirit in you then at the end of that. Are you grateful for the ark that rescued you from God's wrath? And if you are, then you're like Noah. You just, today's the day to step out and just go, I, I worship Him today. It's my weekly, not that we shouldn't do it every day, but this is the time that I give to Him. The ark is Jesus. He came and invited us in just like God did Noah. Will you, if, if that's you and you haven't, got in on that ark that is Jesus, not by works, not because you're a good enough person, but just because He loves you and you need to be rescued from your sin and you see the impending flood coming. So you go, man, there's me and my sin and I see where this is going and there's Jesus inviting me to be saved from my sin, forgiving me by dying on the cross in my place for my sin and I gladly turn from that sin and who I was, and embrace who Christ wants me to be. And so let's pray this morning. If that's you, and maybe for the first time you're seeing the graciousness, the mercy of God, you're seeing how kind and loving He is, and in the midst of thinking He's just been terrible and But you see God for how loving and how great He is and you want to fill the earth with His glory out of a thankful heart, then just take that step today. Just say, God, best I know how. I give myself to You. I'm stepping into that ark that is Jesus. I realize why He came was to rescue from my sin, that it's not something I can do. He had to do that for me. So I'm just grateful this morning. So God, I, I repent and turn to Jesus away from myself and my sin. I see how terrible my heart is. So God, give me a new heart. May Your Holy Spirit come inside of me and change me. And one day when this is all wiped clean again and those who have been saved by by grace through faith in Jesus Christ will stand here again and just on a new heaven, a new earth, and, and spend eternity just enjoying our God and Father. Being with You, Father, will just be amazing. So, Father, right now I pray 
that you just draw hearts to yourself. You'd help us to put you first. Would you be Lord of our lives? Fill the earth with the reflection of your glory through us. And we thank you most of all for your son Jesus who makes that possible. Thank you for your plan. It's in his name we pray. Amen.